0: Why is everything so... rectangular? If you're inside right now, look at how many right angles surround you. Or just go for a jog through the concrete jungle, but watch out for that sublime. Past the endless rows of sharp cornered buildings. And at the end of most city blocks, you have to go straight or go 90 degrees right or left. Humans get some kind of gross pleasure from rectangles, but not me. Because I'm Carl the Human, and you're listening to Historic, the podcast about old places and people who love them. In each episode, I pick a historic building to roast and or toast, tell its story, and at the end I give it a rating and a spot on my rad or bad list. In this episode, I'm going to focus on the Octagon House in Watertown, Wisconsin. Yes, I said octagon house, not rectangle house. I'll tell you why in a minute, but first let me set the scene of this historic building. There are around 80 octagon-shaped houses in the United States, so I want to be clear again that I am specifically reviewing the one in Watertown, Wisconsin. I'm going to talk generally about octagon houses, but my review is about Watertown, Wisconsin. Watertown is a quaint Midwestern community right between Madison and Milwaukee. Their tourism website brags about it being the perfect midpoint, although I would argue that something like Johnson's Creek on I-94 is more perfect, because it's not, like, out of the way on backroad highways. There seems to be a lot going on there, even though the community is only around 20,000 people. I've lived in smaller towns but I grew up in a town about twice as large as Watertown. So in my brain, it's a medium-sized small town, I guess. Kindergarten was invented there, and you can experience the thrill of the First Brigade Band, which is described as a Civil War-era band, even though Wisconsin didn't really see any Civil War action. I also got distracted by the interesting story of Turkey Gurky. Who was famous for climbing into bed in November and not leaving his room until April? As it turns out, he actually probably had crippling anxiety about getting sick and finally having to deal with a severe liver problem. Uh, But there's some interesting lore there. That was a fun story to learn about. The Octagon House sits near the banks of the meandering Rock River and is one of the nicest examples of the eight-sided house fad that swept the nation in the late 1800s. If you approach the grounds from the west, you come to a great octagon-shaped flower bed surrounded by an octagon-shaped brick path. Off to the side of the house is a miniature model of the house. It seems a little weird, but it does show what the house originally looked like with white walls and all of its balconies installed. Finally, you come to the house itself. Sitting on top of a full basement is a three-story building with brown-colored bricks and dark green shutters. The main floor porch wraps all the way around, and the second floor balcony is directly above it. Sticking out of the roof is a small cupola, itself capped with four large chimneys joined by balcony-looking rails. Other than its shape, that cupola may be the only feature that really sets it apart from any other home of its time. Inside is where the really cool features of the Octagon House are. You might expect the interior to have some interesting shaped rooms, uh, but they're actually square for the most part. Four square rooms forming a cross with closets or small secondary rooms built into the triangles left by those interior walls. And this is where you really get the Octagon experience. With the Octagon House's configuration, you essentially get a room for each exterior wall, meaning that three main floors of this house contain a combined 24 rooms. The basement has a different configuration, but still splits the area into eight spaces separated by interior walls. Getting from floor to floor is achieved by a beautiful staircase spiraling up the center. Unsupported spiral staircases like the one in this particular octagon house are particularly noted for their lack of a center pole or other support. The bulk of the weight for the stairs is on the bottom step. Some unsupported staircases are completely freestanding, but in the octagon house, one side is attached to the wall. And when you look up from the bottom, all you see is the spiral of the staircase with a large skylight at the top. It's really cool. And I've seen at least one unsupported spiral staircase in person, and it's just really Awesome to look up that center and see that spiral up to the ceiling. Watertown's Octagon House is currently a museum. Each room is decorated with Victorian-era wallpaper and furniture, plus an overwhelming amount of... stuff. Literally, an unfathomable amount of artifacts. Looking around is a good reminder that America has this weird obsession with Victorian stuff. It's really... sad because there are a ton of house museums just like this building that was a family home until 1936. But that doesn't matter though because the curators only want to talk about the 1850s and they only want to decorate for the 1850s. Anyway, I'm sure it's a lovely museum. This isn't a museum critique podcast, uh, so whatever. It's probably fine. It just looks like a lot of stuff in the pictures. Um, At this point, I do need to tell you a little bit about Orson Squire Fowler, who is usually credited with ramping up the octagon house craze. In 1834, Orson graduated from Amherst College and opened a phrenological office with his brother Lorenzo. If phrenology is a new word for you, I would summarize it as the theory that you can make certain judgments about a person based on the size and shape of their head. I wouldn't fault you for thinking that it was just another mostly harmless medical theory, even if it was proven by science to be completely false. Uh, It doesn't sound so terrible on the surface. The problem is that, like so many other theories of its time, phrenology was largely based in racism and in slave owners grasping for literally anything to justify owning other humans. One of the ideas was that if black slaves had certain physical features, it would indicate that they were somehow mentally or physically inferior than white people, and therefore could not handle being free. Essentially, it created a version of the, uh, quote, white man's burden. If you think about animals in a zoo, and I, I, I hate making this comparison, but I, it's the best one I can think of. Uh, we humans feel like we're protecting some species from extinction. But at the same time, we have generations of previously wild animals that wouldn't last more than a few days outside the controlled environment of the zoo. So we have to keep them at the zoo. If you think that zoos are a problem, we're perpetuating the problem by allowing those zoo animals to reproduce. And maybe there's some way, some like rehabilitation that could happen where a few generations later they could be considered you know, wild again and placed out into nature. Uh, I don't know, I'm not that smart with zoos, but at this point, you know, zoo animals pretty much have to stay at a zoo. So the white man's burden in this case is that slavery created generations of humans who phrenology and other pseudoscience claimed could not survive outside of their enslaved status. So slavery could be argued as a necessary evil in the same way that zoos just have to keep hoarding animals. Although they were eventually considered the leading phrenologists in the United States, the Fowler brothers' timing wasn't so great. It was still an emerging theory when they started, uh, but when they set up their shop, their field was already being thrown out by psychologists as baseless and unscientific. By the 1840s, phrenology was almost universally considered to be pseudoscience or, you know, not actual scientific fact or even theory. You know, it was so disproven that it was just completely thrown out by respectable scientists. Orson Fowler never renounced his phrenology. In fact, I think his obsession with size and shape of things being indicators of other things led to the strange ramblings in his 1853 book, a home for all, or the gravel wall and octagon mode of building new, cheap, convenient, superior, and adapted to rich and poor, showing the superiority of this gravel concrete over brick, stone, and frame houses, manner of making and depositing it, its cost, outside finish, clay houses, defects in small, low, long-winged, and cottage houses, The greater capacity, beauty, compactness, and utility of octagon houses, different plans, the author's residence, green and ice houses, filters, grounds, shrubbery, fruits and their culture, roofing, schoolhouses and churches, barns and outbuildings, board and plank walls, the working man's dwellings, etc, etc. Or just a home for all, for short. It is a dense book. It's not long. But it is dense, and it has lots of complex math and big words to prove that octagons are the best house shapes ever in the universe. I have just a few of his social arguments in favor of octagons that I need to share with you. First, Orson explains that octagons can be configured in ways that minimize the amount of steps a person must take to get from room to room. Housekeeping in a square or rectangular house with square rooms might take up to twice as long to clean, if the lady of the house can even find her broom in the midst of all those 90-degree angles. The evil doesn't end there, though, because the frustration of the woman in a square house, quote, "...often generally sours the tempers of children even before birth. Indeed, the perpetually irritated mother renders the entire family badly dispositioned. Of course you can avoid ruining your entire family's life by building a convenient house to render your woman amiable and good. That is a quote from the book, amiable and good. He also loves talking about the realities of nature. Apples are round. You don't see a large apple with two smaller apples stuck to it, right? So why would you build a house with wings stuck to the sides of it? Wings are only for birds, and if the god of your choice wanted us to build houses with wings, then we would have apples with tiny apples stuck to them. Your house should only be one structure and one shape. And you simply cannot talk about a home for all without quoting Fowler's beautiful paragraphs about the kitchen. Keep in mind as I read this word for word that it was common for homes to have kitchens either outside or in a separate building altogether. Orson was surely expecting some severe controversy about moving the kitchen inside his home. In the Octagon kitchen, the wife, when she leaves the sitting room to attend to kitchen duties, pleasures, instead of feeling that she is going away off alone out of doors, feels that she is only a step removed from the rest of the family. What say you wives to this? The sight of a tidy kitchen is not so very disgusting even to men of refined tastes. None who are not too extra nice, fastidious, and fashionable to eat, like the sight of the kitchen. Except those double exquisite ladies who are as cordially disgusted with household duties as with good sense. I know enough sensible men to aver that they love to see the kitchen, and that they even take pleasure... In going into it. As a man, I can confirm that I indeed love the sight of a kitchen. And one of my favorite activities is walking into my kitchen. It's so much fun. I take great pleasure in it. Uh, So what do you think? Are our rectangular homes a waste of space? Or a conspiracy? Are octagons a silly fad that we were right to leave behind? I think I could live in an octagon. Anyway, with all of that behind us, it's time to determine where the Watertown, Wisconsin Octagon House stands on the rad or bad list. Let's go over the rules again really quick. I have 10 categories in which I will rate each building I talk about on a scale of 1 to 10, plus a mansard multiplier, because mansard roofs are the best roofs. A score of 50 or higher means the building is rad. Under 50, and the building is bad. So let's go down the list. Uh, The first category is architectural significance. I gave it a seven. This building is one of the nicest octagon houses still standing. Uh, It is really unique and really interesting. I looked at a ton of pictures of it and it is pretty cool. Historical importance. I gave it a five. It's a score that's right in the middle. I think it's interesting how passionate Orson Fowler was about the octagon being a particularly perfect shape. But in the end, it's just a different shape than a rectangle. And inside, you still have square rooms. He spent so much time arguing that 90-degree angles were horrible, only to put extra 90-degree angles inside his house. Uh, The next category is cultural impact. I gave it a 5 again. Uh, It was a fun fad, but there were never a large number of octagon houses. And no one really talks about them being anything of consequence. You know, it's kind of a, a fun little unique thing to see one, but you know, it's not really special or memorable. Preservation efforts. I gave it a 10. Uh, the one in Watertown is beautifully preserved. I commend that small town for making funding available to continue maintaining it. Uh, there were times in its history where it didn't have the balconies because they were dilapidated and deemed unsafe Uh, there was a time when the family living there just abandoned it basically and left it to fall apart and the city stepped in and put some money towards fixing it up and maintaining it and it's really nice it's held up really well over the years for visual appeal I gave it an eight Uh, even though it is well preserved and a great example of its style it's not super striking to look at uh, but it it's it's pretty it's in a pretty location. Stories and anecdotes uh, I gave it a four. I would love to rank this higher because of Orson Fowler, but you know this particular house in Watertown doesn't really have very many stories that I could easily find surrounding it. Uh, I kind of had to make Orson Fowler the story and say that you know that is why this particular house is important not because of anything that happened at the house itself uh, the next category is public access I gave it an eight uh, it is a museum and it can be visited by the public uh, but hours are seasonal and very limited uh, it looks like there's a number you can call to uh, make an appointment for a private tour outside of their you know public hours but you know still it's it's not something you can just go to and walk in You know, during regular business hours. You have to go at a particular time. Uh, but it is open to the public, and it is uh, preserved for the benefit of the community. So I, I gave it an 8. For uniqueness, I gave it an 8 again. Um, I think especially in the context of its community, the Watertown Octagon House is very unique and worthy of this high score. Uh, for wow factor, I gave it a 5. Again, I love that it is unique and well-preserved, but I don't look at this building and scream, wow, that's amazing. Um, it's, it's interesting, it's unique, but not so much of a wow. And then for the uh, Carl's Choice category, again, this is where I get to just arbitrarily give it a score based on whatever the heck I want. It's not anything that we can argue about. It's just my opinion, my score. Uh, I gave it an 8. This is where I just give a totally arbitrary score, and I've become friends online with a guy from Watertown, so that's a bonus. Um, and it's just a fun building. You know, They have a lot of interesting community events on their grounds, and I think that that needs to be pointed out and commended. So they get some extra points for that. Uh, no Mansard Roof. Frown emoji right here. There's not a Mansard Roof, so they don't get that extra 25%. For the mansard multiplier so their total score is 68 which puts it into first place so far it's number one out of three this is the third building uh, so congratulations to watertown congratulations on your octagon house which is for now number one on my rad list that's all for this episode if you're into this sort of thing please consider subscribing you can get updates and see pictures of properties I review on Instagram at historic underscore pod or on my subreddit r historic_podcast podcast uh, in all caps, which I think matters on Reddit. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Go out and do something historic. I'm Carl the Human. We'll see you later.